remove that. And Mike is hot. It is hot. Not literally though. It's no. quite cool. Yeah. I had a uh, it's cold in the basement here. I had to light a Excuse CV. Me, the studio. Yeah, I lit a CV axle on fire. Uh, I saw you posted a video of that actually. Yes, pretty good. Pretty good. Welcome to episode seventy-two. Of episode. Episode. Correction. What episode number was it? 72. 72. Excellent. The twin engine Cadillac we were talking about? Yes. It was built by Molger. Yeah, Molger Engineering. Yeah. Who eventually built a supercar too, right? Didn't they do the Mosler Concierge? Was that theirs? I don't know. Same company? I, did I just make... Did I do it again? Did I make another correction for a correction? <laughs> oh, man. Should have stopped over ahead. A horrible human being. Now we're in the hole. Um... Why don't you look that up? I know it was definitely a supercar. I don't know what it was called. A Molger definitely yeah, yeah, sounds like familiar. Yeah, Con- Consuliere. I had the 2.2 Chrysler. Wasn't that that car? I don't know. There is a question about 2.2 Chrysler engines. Yeah, I'll get there eventually. Consuliere GTP. No, it was built by Consuliere Industries. I don't know. Consuliere Industries spun off their automotive division into Mosler Automotive, which then rebranded the car as the Mosler Intruder and Mosler Raptor. These are French? American. With French names. Apparently. Yep. Um, I suppose first Chevro- ones, Chevrolet. So the first ones are powered by a 2.2 turbo Chrysler. Okay. And the later ones were powered by either a 5.7 liter LT1 GM or a 6.3 liter Lingenfelter modified LT1. It's an interesting jump in engines. Yes, it is. So, anyway, I don't know that much about Mosler Industries, no. but we're still... I can click back through to that to see if it's the same one that made the twin-engine Cadillac. Yeah. We're still struggling through winter. Uh, there is salt everywhere. Again, even though it was clear for a day. Yeah. They just threw salt. It in. was clear enough that I almost took a car out. I almost drove the, drove the Blue Colt last weekend, and then they were like, it might snow tomorrow, so we should probably resalt the roads. Yeah. I mean, the roads are, like, white. My car is white. Confirmation? Confirmation? Yeah. It is the same company. All right. So there's that. I know. Oh, I, the Twin Star. Yeah. An automobile developed by Mosler in the year 2000. In the year 2000. Sorry. Um, the vehicle is essentially a Cadillac Eldorado that had been modified to fit two North Star V8 engines. Yeah, I don't... I don't think that would make it... Faster? Maybe accelerating. Why wouldn't it make it faster? That makes it 600 horsepower all to all four wheels. But you added the extra weight of another engine. Yeah, it's not the weight of another whole car. Yeah. So if you had the weight of another whole car, it wouldn't make it faster. <clears throat> but you're but only it, adding the weight of another engine, and you're doubling the horsepower. But if you double the horsepower of the engine that was originally in the car, you'd be better off. But then you'll be front-wheel drive. Okay. And a 600 horsepower front-wheel drive car is never a good idea. Okay, so let's add the complication of engineering two separate engines, See, two separate transmissions. We don't have to because Mosler already did it for us. <laughs> Nonetheless, yeah. it was the same company. It's Twin-engine cars are... It's silly. It, it's like... It seems so, like a good idea... Okay. When you're like bench racing or something, you're drinking at the bar. Well, this is what goes beyond bench racing because here are the actual calculated numbers for this car. Okay. 600 horsepower, the combined output of two engines. Yep. Zero to 60. Now, this is in 2000, so you got to put yourself back in 2000. So, what was like a Camaro SS? It was probably like a five second car to 60. 
Yeah. I mean, it ran, uh, they ran 13 ones. The Camaros did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They're fast. So this car in 2000, yeah. with two North Star V8s, did 4.5 to 60. Okay. And 12 and a half through the quarter. Okay. And it had a top speed. But I'm going to make a guess, actually. What was the top speed of this car with two Cadillac North Star V8s? 180 miles an hour. 207. It broke 200 miles an hour. Okay. So I guess it worked a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it probably handled terribly. I don't know. Well, that's a little different. I guess some things we'll just never know, Andrew. I, I don't. I don't have lateral G numbers here. But I, I still don't think those numbers are impressive enough. At the time, if yeah. you were sitting at a stoplight in your whatever sports car, and a 2000 Cadillac Eldorado pulled up next to you, yeah, and dusted you, you'd be like, "Oh, that was cool." But even, like, three years later, you could buy an Evo or an STI, it would do four and a half to 60. But they wouldn't run a quarter mile in 12.5. No. Or do 207 miles they'd an hour. Like, they'd do, like, a 13. But the fastest stock Evos ran low, mid, so like, 13.3. What did you run with yours? Oh, I didn't want to humble brag, but 13.3. Yeah, you did, <laughs> you did pretty well. Yeah. But that was a bone stock car. Yeah. I never heard of anything going faster than that as a bone stock car. Yeah. And a, so. and a last gen. Oh, wait. Well, they've made more Camaros since then. But a fourth gen. Uh, yeah. End of end of production fourth gen. So Z28 30, SS. Was it so whatever. Was anniversary they called it? That yeah. last year? 2007, 97, 30, 2005, 2005, yeah, 35, yeah, 2003. Those ran like 13 once. That, those are pretty damn fast. I think they broke to the high 12s by the end. Like a twelve nine full SLP packages and yeah. everything, yeah. Regardless, I think it's cool. I don't think it's anything I'd want to like. I wouldn't want to build it myself, but if I came across the Mosler Twin Star for sale and it was a reasonable, purchasable price, I would probably not have a problem owning it. Yeah, I mean, it's just two stock North Star V8s. It's only annoying if both starters died because the starters and those motors are in the intake plenums. Oh. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And then... Super annoying. I suppose if one engine breaks, then you can you just still put get the home. front neutral. See this? Okay, now this car makes even more sense. Yeah, it makes sense for you. This is this is the auto off-topic official way of building a cool car and still be able to get home. I carry... Two engines in it. Yeah, I carry my spare working engine and transmission... Working driveline in the trunk. In the trunk. Yes. Can't carry any cargo, but I'll always get home. I don't need to carry any cargo. Actually, I couldn't carry cargo. It's a Cadillac. It's got a huge back seat. It's fine. Anyway, so corrections. Mosler made the twin engine Cadillac. Yes. They also made the Conciliere, which coincidentally there'll be one at the next Radwood, which we won't unfortunately be at, but I've seen pictures of it, and it is super Radwood because it is white and pink and aqua green, and it was featured in a I think Mac Tools catalog in yes. like '89. Yeah. So those are cool cars. If you they're ugly as sin, but they're cool for it. And that one's like a, a open top one too. Yeah, Targa. Yeah. So if you live in NorCal, they're doing it at Sonoma Raceway Was during it March third. No. March Redwood.co. Yeah. So you need to buy your tickets because it's filling up. I hear. Um. 
and it is uh, March twenty fourth. March twenty fourth. Yep. I knew it was later in March. Yes. Yeah, so Sonoma Raceway, March twenty fourth. And it's like combined with there's a lemons race going on, yep. and then the Billetproof show at the same time, the Hot Rod show. Yes. So a ton of cool stuff to see in one place. There'll be like a thousand cars there from what yeah. I'm gathering. And there's going to be a lemons. If you've never seen a lemons race, which is pretty fun to watch, it's going to be going on at the same time. I cannot speak upon that because I have actually never seen a lemons race. Okay. We'll have to go to the one that's in New Hampshire. Yeah, there's, there's two. There's one down at um, Stafford Thompson. Springs, too, which isn't too far away. No, they do one at Thompson. Well, they used to do it at Stafford. Yeah. Okay, what's at Thompson now? Well, Stafford doesn't have a road course. I swear they used to do something there with lemons. Nope. Mm, okay. Nope. That's fine. Thompson. That's fine. Maybe you're right. So, anyway. Yeah, there's a Radwood coming up in, like month and a half sign up radwood.co bunch of our podcasts that we're friendly with run it yep and it's an awesome show and you should go it's a great show i hear there's going to be probably another one in the san francisco area in the spring mm-hmm. so well summer because that is spring already march 24th is pretty much spring and i guess the next one it, will be like in june or july it, it's like late winter early spring for us and then June around here is still kind of spring. Mm, whatever. Meteorologically. Yeah, meteorologically, yes. But anything after snow is spring. Well, it can still snow on March 21st. Oh, it can. 24th. So it doesn't on 21st anyway. It's 24th. Yeah. But it can, and it probably will because we've talked about it. But April Fool's Day. Yeah, that was a big Never storm. forget. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, was, today was, uh, uh, it was crazy. 10, no, 11 years ago. Was the uh, Aqua Teen Hunger Force LED lights that they hid around Boston, the guerrilla marketing? Do you remember that? I do remember that because I remember that there were bombs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little Moonanite giving the finger yeah. is a bomb. Well, people thought they were bombs because they had a bunch of lights and they had a bunch of wires sticking out of the back of them. Yes. Because and they were put under bridges and like in places yes. where you would put a bomb. Yeah. but And you'd call attention to that device with lights. Well,. That's, this is probably very localized trivia because I don't know if anybody outside of Boston is going to remember that. Probably not. I mean, it was a brilliant a certain, thing. People of a certain age are only going to know Aqua Teen Hunger Force is anyway. So, like us in our mid to upper thirties, were of the age of watching Aqua Teen Hunger Force in our younger twenties. Um, so, people that are older or younger might not even know what it is. But yeah, that was definitely it's probably still on Adult Swim. Oh, it definitely is. It's definitely still watch. It's definitely still unwatchably watchable. Yeah. But anyway, moving on to car stuff. Project Pro- cars. Project car updates. We. I haven't worked on any of my own stuff in a while. I've been helping Sorry about other that. people. No, you know. <laughs> well, hmm. yours has parked anyway right now. Well, as far I as project cars. Drive my Subaru. That's my daily. Yeah. I haven't had to do anything to that lately. Yeah, daily cars being project cars are never good. No. No, the. Uh, Montero is literally in cold storage. Mm-hmm. As uh, is the Gallant and the Talon. Yes. They're, they're in slightly warmer cold storage. Yes. Uh, we helped Liz and Jordan, who are on the podcast. They picked up the that golf rally car in Canada. Again, as we've deemed it, unbeknownst to them, the auto off-topic rally car. Sure. Uh, it is the Spaghetti GDI. Yes, which is spaghetti because... Is that an Aqua Hunger Force reference as well? Like, what are you going to call it? Spaghetti. Uh, that would be really old, but, like, in the last couple of weeks, there's a, 
uh, an internet meme, somebody touching my spaghetti. Oh, I'm too old for that. I don't know that. I, I sent it to you meme. like a week ago. I didn't. I didn't pick up on it then. I'll have to show you the video afterwards. Anyway, but it's spaghetti, and it's S P A G S P A yeah G T I. So people have been mashing that up with the uh, old Smash Mouth song. Somebody once told me. I don't know. You're, you're, you're interneting beyond me, apparently, at the moment. Well, I'm just going to get the song stuck in a bunch of people's heads. Somebody once told me. Oh, God, no, don't sing, Andrew. That was awful. <laughs> uh, so, yes, the spaghetti, which I'm not even sure how it came to be, but I'm going to go with the Aqua Teen theme. Maybe. And the fact that it's spa and then GTI getting is kind yeah. of a interesting S-P-A-H-G-T-I. Yeah. Well, speaking of spaghetti, I had the wiring under the hood. Yes, all laid that was, out. That was the project. Yes, that was my part of the project. Yes, we all I worked on the task. Yes, we split up to divide. We divided and conquered, sort of. Uh, I took care of the wiring. Actually, my dad, he's been on the podcast. He came up and hung out with us. Yep, and pointed out things for me to do on the wiring. That's what dad's good for. Well, he was really interested in doing the wiring. So yes. he loves doing mess. wiring. Yeah. yeah, well, he's really good at it. It was a mess. So. We put in, we fixed, it has, the car has a bunch of auxiliary lights, and they're all hooked into the positive terminal. Right. And it was just like craziness. It was a rat's nest, for yeah. lack of a better word. So, cleaned it up, and now just the just the starter is hooked to the positive terminal, mm-hmm. and then the uh, battery... We ran a power wire to an auxiliary fuse box. Which is part of my job, locating the fuse box. Yes. We had you mount it on the other side. And then I ran wires to it and hooked up all the fuses. I actually finished that up Monday night. I went back because it was a bunch of wiring. Mm -hmm. Literally wrapped it up. Wrapped up the wiring harness. Yep. Uh, And then I believe Jordan was swapping rear brakes while we were there. I wasn't really paying attention to what he was doing. He was doing calipers. Yep. And I was doing the fire extinguisher, mounting the fire extinguisher in the proper location, yeah. and mounting the wiring harness yeah. block. Did you do any of the foam? No, you didn't do the foam. No, I didn't do any foam. All right. I think Liz did all the foam. That was after we left, apparently. Yeah. Because that wasn't going on while I was there. And then we heard that the calipers right they installed. Right is leaking. Yeah, one is leaking. Brand new one. And not from a place that it's anything we could possibly fix. Like from a poor rebuild. Mm-hmm. Like... Somebody, when they rebuilt it, they must have drilled it or something, because for some reason, fluid is coming out of the e-brake. Um, well, it must have a e-brake must be integrated into the caliper and not inside the brake drums. Correct. It is. All right. So then, yeah. So the little, probably the pivot arm that comes out of it that pushes the the wheel, um, the, pit, the uh, caliper piston out, mm-hmm. that seals obviously bad Gone. leaking. So. Yeah. And th- but there's... It, I'd never seen it leak out the pivot point before, so it's kind of weird. It's just like a stupid rebuild thing, like whatever. Yeah. Whatever, it's stupid. It doesn't work anymore. No. So they... But thankfully, it's a rally car, and what's the last thing you need in a rally car? You don't need rear brakes. You don't need brakes, period. No. It's a front-wheel drive rally car. Just toss it into the turn, it slows itself down, and power out. Yeah. They're trailing it anyways. Yeah, it's fine. So, yeah. I'm going to go up and help them a little bit tomorrow night. Get it set up because they are going to rally cross. Yeah, they got to do like a shakedown for the first for the rally sprint at a rally cross. Yes. Well, the rally cross is this weekend mm-hmm. today. Yep. 
Stafford Springs, NER SCCA. First event of the season, technically. Yes. The got canceled. Yes. Uh, and then they will take it to Team O'Neill. Which we'll be there for that. And hopefully we don't have to do anything to it. That is the plan. Yep. Build a nice, reliable car, and then... I want to stand around and look good. No jokes. I will leave that one alone. Oh, I don't look good? I was going to make some kind of joke, but it's not appropriate, so I'll just no. leave it alone. All right, fine. Um, other project car updates. So we did the fire extinguisher, the wiring, the rear brakes... He took care of getting the seat belts properly mounted mm, before mm. we were up there. Uh, he's been working on it like every night all week long. So. Oh, yeah. They had to do an alternator because the thing died while they're trying oh, to get yeah, it lined it, up. It died yeah, on the road. Uh, but, hey, it's good to get all that done now versus when they're trying to drive Here it. Here they're going to do the coolant the coolant lines. They got a new radiator to put in. That's yes. why they got to do that. Yeah. And they did all new coolant lines for the heater core and for the like crossover lines that are... In the front of the motor. That car has a ridiculous it's amount. way of too cool. many coolant lines, yes. <laughs> For a little four-cylinder car. It should have, like, two heater hoses and a radiator. And an upper and lower upper, radiator yeah. hose, yeah. No, it's got all kinds of weird crossovers and stuff. Um, so they're replacing all of those. So all that should be all fresh. But it's going to be, hopefully, a reliable car for them. And hopefully, a reliable car for us to not have to worry about too yeah. much. So that's, what, February 18th? That's the rally the sprint. Rally sprint. Yeah. So if you're in the Dalton, New Hampshire area, which... Probably not. Most people probably are not because I think there's like seven people that live around there. Um, or if you're within a couple hours and you want to check out a cool rally event, it will be a cool rally event to spectate. Or if you want to volunteer, they're still looking for volunteers to help, you know, do uh, corner working and some other basic volunteer rally needs, spectator marshalling and stuff. Yeah. And don't quote me on it, but you usually get lunch if you volunteer ahead of time. No, you will get lunch. Yeah. So no. it's worth it. It's a good time. Um, I actually re-registered my brown 1980 Colt today mm-hmm. um, with the anticipation of driving it because I've been driving my diesel truck commuting to and from work every day mm-hmm. uh, and putting $64 worth of diesel in it every three or four days is wearing a little thin. Yeah. Um, so I decided to put the brown Colt back on the road. If you remember, maybe a month ago, I worked on it enough to get it, maybe two months ago, worked on it enough to get it idling, um, and then stupid me was under the impression that, oh yeah, I'm going to re-register it, and I'm just going to start driving it again. So I registered, and I drove it tonight around the block, mm-hmm. and realized I probably shouldn't just get in it and drive it far away from my house, Yeah, because I barely made it home. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So it's sputtering like crazy. Um Anytime you give it anything past probably half throttle, um, it just it sputters down and dies. Um, so it's either getting just from sitting. Well, I it's a it's a fuel air thing. The carburetor needs to be adjusted properly. I well, got it to the point where it's idling, but now I don't have a point where I could drive it yet. I mean, ethanol is not great for carbed vehicles when they sit. No, because it really gums up the carburetors. Mm-hmm. So you don't think it's anything like that? I don't or? think so, because I parked it because it was having carb issues, Okay, if you don't remember. And then I couldn't drive it at all, because I couldn't keep it running. The second it got warmer, it would die. Okay. So now I have it to the point where it idles, and it'll sit in the driveway, and it'll idle for hours and be fine. Um, but you get a little gas, and it sputters, and you give it more than half throttle, and it dies. 
So I have to figure out exactly Is how there to... something that, like, richens the mixture? Yeah. When you give it throttle? Yes. There's three separate adjustments on the garb. Okay. To play with. So... Um, maybe Man, we have to. So annoying. Yeah, whatever. It's, it's very, it's, it's, it's super simple, but super complicated at the same time. I mean, it's not a difficult concept. It's just difficult to get right. And the other problem is, is now that it's winter time in New England, and I'm trying to set the base of the carb when the motor's cold and it's 28 degrees out. So once the car gets warm, it's going to change. So it's I I just picture you under the hood with like this long screwdriver and you're trying to listen to the engine. You've got it to your ear and you're I mean, like that's what you do. <laughs> like essentially. Except you can't use a long screwdriver. I can only use I, I I can only use a so what I use is the little screwdriver bit for the ratchet. No no no. I mean like you've got the screwdriver to your ear and you're listening to the engine oh, as no, you no, tune no. it. Yeah. Almost. Um, but where, oh, yeah, see a one, see a running real good. Yes. Where one of the screws is, there's not why you're like an old Italian chef, uh, whatever. <laughs> I'm an Italian. So I guess it makes sense. I'm an old Italian mechanic. I'm like, a, you know, we call it a Fiat mechanic. Yeah. Fix it again, Tony. I think, um, I think the Colt needs a, uh, Italian tune up then. I tried to give it an Italian tune up on my street. Now I can, now an Italian tune up is obviously the joke is wide open throttle. Yeah. Until everything blows out of it, and that's fine. Yeah. So I tried to give it an Italian tune-up on my street, which I can do in that Colt, because the car only has, like, 68 horsepower. Yeah. So even on my little street, I can wide-open throttle it and not break any laws. It's fine. Um, but I couldn't wide-open throttle it because the car would die. <laughs> so <laughs> it kind of got rid of my, my Italian tune-up plans. So I need to I need to open the book and find out how to base set the carbs. Set the carbs. Uh, carb. Singular. Um, and figure out what the best way is to adjust them from base. So it's just, it's a whole nightmare. I don't know why I bother with these got rated pieces of baloney, but I do so love them so much. Please, sir, may I have another? <laughs> they're not that bad. Once you get them running right, they're, they're pretty set it and forget it kind of deal. It's just setting it is the issue. You know what really sucks is everything was working fine until I played with it. Why did you play with it? Because I wanted it to be better. Better than what? (laughs) Better than okay. And now it's all janky. Yeah, I guess so. So, But I do have to get it running because I am sick of putting $64 worth of diesel fuel in my truck a couple times a week. Yeah. It's getting very expensive and... I don't live the kind of lifestyle where I can afford to pay $120 a week in fuel. I mean, that's (laughs) one of the reasons why I don't drive the Montero every day to work, other than the salt right now. Yeah. doesn't get great fuel mileage. But at least gas is cheaper than diesel, so it wouldn't be quite as bad. Well, I buy premium. I think it's about the same. I don't know what's premium right now. It was two ninety six this morning. All right, so it's a little bit cheaper. I paid three eighteen this afternoon for diesel. Oh, that's that's considerably cheaper. That $0.30 adds up. Yep. That's why it's $64 a tank full. Yeah. Um, the only thing I did was, like, I got, I changed uh, collector car insurance companies. For the Huge tail. project. Yeah. Well, but why did you, why did you do that, though? Uh, I won't name them, but the... You can name them. 100% name them. All right. 
It's the insurance company. It's not a. In, you won't name the agent because not the agent's fault. No, you talk about because the agent's still fine. You just, yeah, the company wouldn't. No, he the tried. The agent. Yeah, he, I, tried, he tried really hard. He tried really hard. Um, so I had an agreed value policy on the Talon through Grundy. Yep. And I was like, cool. That's great. It saves me a ton of money because I literally have not driven the car in two years, but it's sitting insured. Correct. In my garage for really cheap. So you may as well keep it insured, obviously. Exactly. Something bad happens. Exactly. But at the same time, you don't want to pay. You know, I don't want to pay regular, regular car, car insurance because it's not being driven on the road every thousand dollars a year, whatever it costs. So for a long time, the Galant was the only second vehicle I had. So you needed to keep it registered as yes. a regular car. And then I had a second vehicle when I got the first, the '89 Montero, and I never got around to converting the Galant to a collector car policy because I don't drive it enough. Uh, that it, it should be on a policy. And it's an agreed value that way, too, whereas yeah. in Massachusetts, in order to have an agreed value, you have to have a specialty policy. Yes. And if anything were to happen to it, unfortunately, like that one at Radwood, yep. he, I believe that guy ended up, he was arguing with the insurance company afterwards. So I don't know the result of that story. Let's go look in the form. But anyways, uh, a couple of years have gone by. I now have two regular cars I can drive. Mm-hmm. So it's really silly. And then we got... I got married to my wife, so we combined. I like how you changed that real quick to we got married. To, yeah. I got married to my wife, so people aren't confused <laughs> yes. that you and I got married. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we were able to combine our uh, vehicle policies, uh, you know, really adulting, right? Correct. Um, but she's got the brand new car, and then I've got three cars in the policy. So even so though you got expensive. a Yeah, even if you have a multi car discount, it's still super expensive. And it's silly for a car that gets driven less than 5,000 miles a year. And is garage. And is garage. rules for insurance. Yeah, for a lot of garage. Yeah. To pay the huge premium on it without having collision, without having agreed value. Yep, just a basic insurance policy. Yeah. So I had my agent. I said, please, I want to go through Grundy again. I already have a car with them. I mm-hmm. thought it would be super easy. Just add the galant to it. Yeah. Uh, and they came back and were like, that is not a collectible car. We can't insure it. What confuses me about that, two things confuse me about this. Yeah. Number one, they insured a Talon. Yes. The the Galant is the same car underneath, yes. essentially. Yeah. A little bit longer wheelbase. Um, Has an actual numbered... It's a serialized numbered vehicle. Yeah. Like... The definition of collectible. Yeah. It has a number associated with it, and people collect them yeah. as a rule. So the fact that they would insure one but not the other is confusing to me. The second, it has a badge that says limited edition. Yeah. The second that you didn't buy at Pep Boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the second confusing factor to me is I was under the assumption that the only requirement for well, – now, there are – Special circumstances on newer cars being collectible. Yes. But any car older than 19 years old or 25 years it's old. 25 in mass. Depending on the insurance policy. Like oh, okay. It used to be 19 was for the insurance policy. But the car is 25 years old anyway. Yeah. So regardless of whether or not they thought it was collectible. Oh, I'm also over 25. Correct. You and the car are both yes. over 25. Yeah. I was under the impression that, and I don't think I'm wrong still to this day, that you can get antique plates on anything 25 years old or older. Yes. And therefore, you can get an antique insurance policy. So I see cars, I see like Volvo 240s 
with antique blades. Yes. Which are, to me, less collectible than a numbered serialized Galant VR4. Yeah. So why couldn't you get that for the Galant VR4? I'm, that's what I'm thoroughly confused about. It's the, the age of the car used to be all it was. It doesn't matter. I found a, another company, American Collectors mm-hmm. Insurance, and they will insure both of them for a very nice price. Yes. With full collision coverage. Yes. Agreed value. And um, so, yeah, I switched them over. So the first question anybody ever asks me when they you know start talking to me about cars, and yeah. they're like, oh, you have this car, and you have that. Well, how, how many cars do you have? How do you afford to keep them all insured? The answer is antique car insurance yeah. because it's significantly less money than a standard insurance policy, yes. but there are rules. You can't drive the car every day. You can't, you know, t- the car has to be in a garage. You can't commute to and from work with it. They to, they do allow commuting amount occasionally. Of, yeah, occasional commuting. Not every day. Correct. Like, you need you, to have another car insured well, as a regular yeah, car. Once or twice a month, they're like, that's fine. You want to take it out and run errands on the weekend. Exactly. It's perfectly fine. Exactly. You want to drive to Pennsylvania to go to a car show. Perfectly yeah. fine. Most of them have mileage restrictions, which is it 5,000 miles on American Collectors? I Yeah, I put 5,000 miles. So Different tiers. Yep. But then you can also call them and be like, hey... There's an event in Texas where all these cars are meeting. If I wanted to drive the car to Radwood in California, I would just tell them what I was going to do. Exactly. I'm going to a car show. This is what the car show is. Yep. Will I be all set to go across the country? Yes. That way, God forbid something happened when you were crossing Kansas. Yeah. You'd be covered. So that's how I've always had a bunch of cars registered and turned at the same time because it costs less to insure five cars on an antique policy than does one car on a regular and policy. And the coverage is better because you're not driving better. it every day, yeah, so it's exactly. less risk. So regardless, I'm surprised and confused as to why Grundy couldn't do it because I've used Grundy since the inception of me being old enough to have vintage car insurance. Well, they lost my business, so... Well, I'm going to transfer because my Galant is insured as a standard regular car, and it's not going to be used as a standard regular car, and I'm going to put it on an antique policy. Yeah. And Grundy's not going to do it. They're going to lose my business, and I insure a significant amount of cars through them. Yes. So if they won't say, yeah, well, you already insure six cars through us, we'll put that one more on there, then I'll go to American Collectors as well. So, And actually, I was talking to my father about this problem afterwards. Yeah. Because um, he has, a obviously, a significant number of collector cars as well. Yeah. And he had a similar experience where he switched to American Collectors at one point from a different company because... The American collectors at the time didn't do motorcycles. Yeah. But they said, well, if you're insuring like seven other cars with us and you have an antique motorcycle, we'll take your motorcycle as a special case because you have this huge policy with us. Well, they're like a crazy company. Like their thing is like, if it's worth collecting, it's worth insuring or something like. Yeah. And they'll like, if I had like. A... And, it's, and it's up to you if it's worth collecting. Yeah. That, who, who's like Grundy, Grundy's like, it's not collectible. Like it is to me. Yeah. Like I put all this time and effort and money it, into it. It seems like all this, these stacks of models that are next to us in the studio here. Like I could be like, no, these are American collectible. collectors insure those. Yeah. Because they're like. They sell like wine and stuff. Like if I had a giant wine cellar, fancy old wines. I mean, I'm not. You are a collector of model cars and, and diecast models and stuff. There, there is a value to that. That that those stacks of model kits represent thousands of dollars over the years. They do. So I mean, that's a collection. Yeah, it's something worth saving. And I wouldn't pay for an insurance policy on them. No, I wouldn't either. But I could see somebody doing it. Yeah, if they had a more significant You're collection so than you or I. I mean, we have. We don't have what I would consider collector grade because we build them, yeah. and we half start and half build them yeah. and then put them away. But anyway, let's do some listener questions because we're 
30 minutes in here. So. Oh, that's good. Because actually, we uh, salvaged this episode tonight. Yes. Because we actually had a guest booked. Just like we pull cars from the junkyard. So. Yeah. Well, we had a guest booked this evening, and unfortunately, in the finest of auto off-topic fashions, he had some vehicle trouble this evening. He did. So he will be on next week, and we'll let him tell his tale of woe as part of his guest appearance. Oh, it's a very auto off-topic it's story. A, it's a very New England um, auto off-topic story involving his, uh, it's a, I think it's an 01 or an 02. Um, so it's not that old, but because New England has yeah. issues, uh, Jeep Wrangler. So Is it a Jeep thing? It's, I don't understand. <laughs> um, but he's a, he's a good friend of the show. He's a Hot Wheels collector, artist. Um, Miata, serial Miata owner. Oh, yeah. And uh, Jeep off-roader. Yeah. Um, so even though he's a Jeep off-roader and not a Montero off-roader, he does enough other cool things, and we like him as a person, so it's okay. <laughs> We're going to get real, real nerdy about Hot Wheels cars in the next episode. Yeah, but not the whole episode, so if you hate Hot Wheels cars... We might do... We might split Split it into two. I think we'll do one just about... Have one diecast car episode yeah. and one... Not diecast car episode. We'll see yeah. what happens. We'll go. We'll play it by ear. But so we did do listener questions as a last minute, um, which we actually posted the question about an hour before recording. So thank you for all the questions that came in in that last hour. Oh yeah, pretty awesome. And before we get too far, I posted a link to our Teespring on the page. I will make it a top post so it stays at the top. I'll sticky it. You can buy auto off topic t shirts. Yes. Uh, sweatshirts hoodies, uh, and mugs. And we set the limit or I set the limit at 10 before they would start printing them or it hit the, uh, expiration date on the campaign. Correct. And already there's more than 10. So we hit the 10 within like 20 yeah, minutes. That's amazing. So yeah. thank you to everyone for buying a t-shirt we're or gonna, sweatshirt or mug, whatever, yeah, you whatever you bought. So we're going to put that back into the podcast. We could use a fourth mic so we can get more guests. Yep, and uh, we are going to need a larger mixing board. Mixing board for the fourth mic for and the fourth for mic video sounds and stuff going through it. Eventually, yep. So that uh, big things in the horizon. Yes, thank you so much for that. At least uh, you feel like you got something. Then just a uh, like a GoFundMe or something. At least get a, a T-shirt. Yeah, well, we would never do a GoFundMe. So. No, no, because <laughs> I feel like they're not really getting anything. At least you're getting no. a cool T-shirt. Yeah. Or at least, if even if it's a cool T-shirt, at least it's a T-shirt. Yeah, and those were the nice, the nicest ones that they had. So, so when you cut it up into a rag, it's a really nice rag to polish yes. your car with. Yep, it's <laughs> baby soft. You can no, please, please wear them. And if you do buy one and, and have a T-shirt or a mug or something, and you want to share a photograph of however it's used, that would be uh, please do, please do. All right, first question. You want to do. Instagram first. I can do whatever you want. Why don't you do even... Instagram because you've got your computer and you can use I your phone. I did forget my computer and I have my phone. So, so I'll let me... you do the Instagram ones. I wasn't 100% ready, so let me log into my Instagram here. Come on now. That's twice Andrew's song tonight. All right. Listen to questions on Instagram. Holy crap. We have nine. Mm-hmm. Again. I see a lot of new names. So Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for throwing that up there real quick. Um. Mike Samartano, will the Montero follow the Land Cruiser in value? What do you think mm. about that, Andrew? That is a tough call because, I don't know, uh, if Montero's, so 
if Land Cruisers like price themselves out for a lot of people, mm-hmm. they already have, which they have. Yep. Um, I've seen on the Facebook page a, a couple of people come over from Land Cruiser Land, and Land Cruiser Land, Land yeah. Cruiser Land. And I don't know. They they Land do Land seem to be Land. impressed with the Montero. I mean, maybe word is getting out. I don't think they'll ever spike to the same levels. No. Um, I think that's I think super clean, clean, low mile examples. Like clean first gens will definitely go up. Uh, JDM imports seem to be pulling decent money. Yep. You can still get a good deal on a on a diesel one, an early one. Mm-hmm. And now early second gens are becoming legal to import. Mm-hmm. Which, which are, is very high on my list. They're pretty cool because they're not the box flare. They're in between. They have just... Add-on flares. Fiberglass flares. Well, if you get certain ones. But, yeah, they have add-on flares. Um, and they have a, a nice diesel that's not super fast, but it's got nice low-down torque and stuff. It's got a hell of a lot more power than the four-cylinder gas ones we got here. So. Oh, yeah. Way, way better. Yeah. So, I noticed from experience I've driven one. <laughs> yeah. So what's the final verdict? No, they won't get as high, they we don't won't, think. They won't, they won't go as high because they don't have the name recognition. But I think nice ones are going to continue to... I think up. I think they'll raise. I think in the days of fifteen thousand dollar Land Rovers, like FJ sixties, you'll probably eventually see a six or seven thousand dollar first gen Montero for a clean one. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, um, I don't have a problem with that. I think that the value of vehicle going up is good for it because it means more examples will be saved, mm-hmm. which is always a good thing. Uh, next question from Smith Nate E, um, who is obviously Nate Smith, friend of the podcast. Uh, what pets do the hosts have? Interesting question. Not car related, but I like it. I myself have been dubbed a crazy cat man. Uh, Nate has a lot of cats. Oh, yeah? And a lot of colts. So we accept his cats and his colts. But what not do- horses. He may have horses. I don't know. Oh, colts, horses, I get you. <laughs> no, I don't think he has horses. Okay, just cats. Just cats and colts. They'd be barn cats if they're real colts. Yes, they're not barn cats. I grew, um, I grew up with cats. I like cats. Yeah, I like cats too. My wife is allergic, so we don't have a cat. So you have? We have a dog. Yes, you do. Black Lab. Cuddle Buddy Enzo on Instagram. Yes, he is. <laughs> And also on Cuddle Buddy Enzo's Instagram page, sometimes you'll see pictures of Ollie. Yes. Who is my dog, who is a rescue um, beagle hound. Um, but... Um, Nate Smith. I also sometimes have, you can even hear him on the on off topic podcast. Yeah, he's usually here. He's not here tonight. I left him home tonight because I was running around and had a lot of stuff in my hands and just said, "Sorry, buddy, you gotta stay home tonight." Um, but I do have a cat as well, a Maine Coon cat um, named Chess. So, next question: Yeti Overland says, "What offbeat car colors would you like to paint one of your car projects?" Mine is either Forest Service green or Camel Trophy yellow. Ooh. I am a huge fan of Forest Service Green. That's a huge fan. That's a good color. I would love to find a nice patinaed old international pickup from the late 60s, early 70s. That was an international Forest Service Green. Okay. Sorry, National Forest Service Green. So you'd you'd buy one that was already painted that color. Was there anything you'd paint that color? I don't think so. No? Oh, maybe. I mean, if I had the right project vehicle, I could see it. It's a cool color. It's a really pale... More, it's like a, I don't know how to, it's like a more greenish version of Tiffany Blue. Yeah. I've seen um, that first-gen two-door Montero, like, brochure, Camel Trophy, that's in, like, yellow. yellow. Yep. That 
that would be pretty sweet. That looks uh, a two door Raider looks really good in yellow. Yes, they do, especially with the orange and yellow um, stripes in the doors. Yeah, really pretty. So that would be cool. But what was it? What, let's like an offbeat color. Well, I mean, Mopar had tons of them in the sixties. Like they had Panther pink and. I would actually take something, um, man, like something like real 80s. I don't know what I would do. Um, I want something that I want a car I can paint the color that my wife's new cross check is. That cool khaki gray because it's like a, it's a solid light blue with no metallic in it. But I don't know what I would paint it. Any what? 70s car would look good in that color. A Colt or a Datsun 510 or a 70s Corolla. Ooh. Like a... 70s cars look really good in those pastel, non-metallic, solid colors. All right. So, like, a, yeah, you know what? I'd like a Datsun 510 in that color. That'd yeah. be pretty fun. Actually, a Datsun 510 in Forest Service Green would be cool, too. Yeah. Come to think of it. Cause well, it's kind of a similar, similar color. That'd be pretty cool. Um, or, like, a early Toyota pickup truck. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, not so offbeat. But one of my favorite colors of all time is a more recent Toyota color. They painted a lot of Camrys in this green, and when you see the car, most of them don't look special mm-hmm. because they're Camrys and they have been cleaned, polished, or waxed in years. But I think it was like oh four oh five. They had a green color that came with the Camrys and the Tundras, and it had a super heavy gold flake in it. And when the car is cleaned, polished, and nice, and the sun hits it, it's an amazingly nice color. Mm-hmm. And I'd really like to paint that on something older and interesting. Um, like a pickup truck or something from the 70s, probably. Yeah. Uh, actually, that's one of the colors I thought about painting a motorcycle at some point, too. Yeah. It's mostly a standard dark green most times. The sun hits it. It's like, holy crap, that's nice. It's very similar to the gold flake in my brown Colt, actually. So, I'm trying to think. I would paint... Believe it or not, I'd go with the... I'd actually like the my Montero. If it was like, just like a actually khaki. Your, your Montero in the new in the cross track khaki color, yeah, would be awesome. Yeah, I like that because it it's got pure and clear coats. That'd be pretty cool. All right, throttle by cable. You can have any manufacturer produce in homologation numbers any Hot Wheels car. What would it be? It must be a Hot Wheels original car though, so not a licensed car they made. So think like the Rally Cat or the Twin Bill. Or, um, oh, so you gotta you gotta help me out because I don't know the original Hot Wheels, like Hot Wheels originals. Well, I'm not talking like 1968 Hot Wheels. I'm talking any original Hot Wheels. Any car that was an original design Hot like Wheels, like this car. carburetor thing that we used to open bottles. Correct. That wouldn't be good because you couldn't pick up a car to open a bottle with. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's a carburetor. Carbonator, you'd have to have a bottle that was like a really big bottle. Yeah, <laughs> it had to be a Hot Wheels shaped bottle. <laughs> um, a Hot Wheels, yeah, whatever. They had like a shark car. That was kind of weird. Yeah, the shark was cool. That was definitely. See, I'm not really familiar with the Hot Wheels cars that aren't licensed models either because I don't buy them. I also don't buy them. I never have. Even when I was a child, I didn't have. I was a terrible kid. I hated them. I was like, these are not real enough. (laughs) I don't want them. Yep. I didn't play with the shark car very much at all as a child. No. The shark car would be cool though that I drive in real life now. Yeah. Um, They have made a few of their original, like the Twin Mill, which is their original 1968 car. Yeah. They actually made a life-size running driving coffee. Yeah, actually, you know what I'd like is the, because it's more like a car. I guess this is an original car because it never existed in real life. Or did it? The know. twin engine uh, Mitsubishi Eclipse. Thing? Yeah. No, that'd be cool. Yeah. 
It wasn't an Eclipse. They had a different name for it. I think it was one of your shelf behind you, It's over on the shelf behind you. Behind the Fiat or the Alpha. Yeah, there it is. They called it the Double Shots. Double Shot. So it looks kind of... It's got some Mitsubishi styling on it. It's got almost like an Evo-looking snout on it, like an Evo 10 snout. And it's got what looks like a 4263. Koenigsegg kind of roof line. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good answer. It's got what looks like two 4G63s in it. A twin engine. Yeah. All right. By perfect. Mos- by the, Mosler. The perfect car. Actually, at the front of it looks like an Evo. Yeah. And the back of it looks like a Lotus. Yeah. So I would totally drive that. Yes. All right. I'm going to steal your answer because I don't have any better answer than that. That's that's one. Uh, I'm not uh, I'm not real familiar with non-licensed Hot Wheels cars All either, right. unfortunately. Next. Tumro, Tumrao, which I think is his last name, and I'm screwing it up, so I apologize. Um, wildest engine swap ideas for your current cars, or what's the bucket list of project car ownership? Do you have any engine swap ideas? I mean, the wildest engine swap would be the definite engine swap I want to do is a 3.8 into the Montero from a third uh, gen. Myvec? No, not the Myvec. That's, I just want a plug, not, plug and play. Yeah. Um, because if I'm going to go real wild, I'd put an LS1 in it. Okay. That'd be cool, though. Yeah. I like, I like that idea better. Yeah. It's it's a little work, but I've seen it done. Mm-hmm. You have to run a different transmission and transfer case, I'm sure, though. You run a GM... 4L60E. 4L60E with, like, a... Gear, uh, Gear Stars freaking transfer case or something? No. Was it NP? Was it National Powertrain or something? Oh, okay. It's a Jeep. NP, it's an American transfer case. Yep. It bolts up to the back of that. And then you can run, uh, you got to like move the radiator a little bit forward, like on the other side of the sport. Okay. Because the length, but it's been done. I've seen it. It's That's pretty cool. cool. Uh, mine is on my blue 1978 Colt. Yeah. Uh, Andrew knows this. We talked about it many times. We like to do a naturally aspirated 4G63 um, through a five speed trans. Um, with obviously a limited slip rear and have it be a naturally aspirated 4G63 with slightly lumpier cams and ITVs. Mm-hmm. So I'd guess somewhere in the range of 150 to 180 horse. Um, not super powerful, but the car only weighs like 1,900 pounds, so it wouldn't need to be. Uh, and that would be a very lively, lightweight rear-wheel drive car with a rev-happy 4G in it. That's... Not only the bucket list, not only the wildest engine swap idea, but also a bucket list project. Like that will, that will. Or is it bucket done. list of project car ownership? I think I would like a, a two forty two Volvo. Okay. With an either a turbo Volvo swap in it or an LS one. Okay. I I don't even want to get into my bucket list of cars because it's too long. We don't much, have enough. We don't have enough time. It'd be multiple multiple yeah. episodes. My, my 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 ultimate ideal car. I want a um, either you Glock, want a box type. I the Glant GTO um, with that same four G six three NA swap in it, or a box or type. a box type. All right, turbo. There you go. Alex uh, Dadel. Yeah. Should I mildly fuck myself and buy that Starion? Uh, we've been chatting with Alex all day about a Starion he found for sale in California today, which is a fairly good deal. It's an eighty six, so it's slightly undesirable. But if you're just going to keep the car stock and not build a hot rod, it's awesome. It's got California sunrise plates. It's got sunrise plates, original plates. It's yeah. silver with black leather interiors with a good color combination. I mean, it's a California car, so like here I'd pay like nearly anything for it. If that was a solid car here 
I'd pay like six grand for that car yeah. all day long. Yeah. But it's almost half that, and it's in California already, and it's a nice solid car. So, um, I mean, definitely a, a Radwood car. Well, I was listening to uh, the episode of Camden Dubbed with Alex was on, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how he has a desire to own one of every um, fastback 80s Japanese car, or 80s car in general, so 944, RX-7, A86, and a would go a long way to fulfilling that dream of owning one of every fastback 80s car. So, yeah, I say go do it. Worst case scenario, you drive it for a little while, and at that price you're getting it for, you're not going to lose money on it. So mm-hmm. I'd do it. Plus, I think it's an original owner car. Yep. Mr. Galant guy, I don't really question newer cars being somewhat more reliable, efficient, and refined compared to older cars. Though I feel most older cars, especially Japanese cars, were over-engineered for the time with more beefier powertrain and drivetrain parts compared to modern autos of today. For example, Gen 2 and 2.5 Monteros have a beefy 9.5-inch rear diff from the factory. I don't think anything is offered from the factory in the SUV class Monteros were in. I don't think anything is off. I think what he means is I don't think anything in their class came close to that. No, but definitely in the 90s uh, when Japanese car makers had a bunch of money, they were definitely over-engineering stuff. Everything. Everything. Yeah. Uh, and then they the had Germans that, as well. Yep. And then they had that engineering bubble or engineering bubble. The economy, the bubble burst mm-hmm. in the 90s, the recession. And cost cutting, and then again after the 2008 re- recession, there's a lot of been a lot of cost cutting in vehicle building. Well, I think vehicle building has changed a bit in the past. They've changed the way they years. build cars. Yep, definitely. It's a lot of bolt-on front ends and stuff. There's a lot of planned obsolescence now yes. that didn't used to be. Parts. Cars, cars used to be built to last. Yeah, and last forever. And cars are now built to be replaceable. Yes, that's that's. I think that's the biggest. They difference. are using. I'm seeing thinner. Body panels, thinner hoods. Hoods are way, way lighter now. Ste- yep. A steel hood compared to a steel hood from a car that's 20 years old yep. is as Half light way. as an aluminum hood was. Not quite as light as an aluminum hood, it's, but pretty light. It's yeah. a much, much lighter. Yeah. I deal with it all day long because I work in a body yeah. shop and I move parts around. Yeah. And, yeah, new parts are way thinner than old parts. Yes. And, and now a lot of that is to do with it's fuel weight, mileage. Fuel economy, cost savings, yeah. using less materials. So it all comes down to that. So, yes, definitely things are not built as heavy duty as they used to be. Nope. The planned obsolescence is the word, is the phrase I like. So yeah, I don't. I hundred percent agree. They're they're definitely newer cars are more reliable because they're new. In fifteen years, well, the engineering is just better. But in fifteen years, I feel our thirty years from now, a two thousand and eighteen Civic and a nineteen seventy eight Civic are probably going to be just as reliable as one another. Probably. I would say. All right, TM Mason 10. Never done a model car before. Any suggestions on where to start? Seems like it'd be a good thing to do in the winter. It is an excellent thing to do in the winter. 100% would never suggest a car person do anything else in the wintertime. Um, start simple. Start with a SnapTight kit, period. Yep. Um, Go to your local hobby shop. Look for a SnapTight kit that has maybe full detail mm-hmm. um, and something you can just throw together real quick and learn the basics of how their parts laid out in a sprue, how the sprue is what the parts are mounted on. Um, and just the basics of putting it together and then slowly buy brush paints for detailing small parts like engine blocks and exhausts and all that stuff and, and move up as your skill moves up. Um, Monogram Revell made some pretty detailed snap tight kits in the eighties. They did like a full detail engine detail Z 28, um, 
Camaro. Uh, they even did a full detail Shelby Charger, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, start with something like that and uh, learn the basics. And if you enjoy it, then you'll enjoy getting, obviously, deeper into it and going from there. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to ask us on direct message or on Facebook or whatever. We can definitely help you out with that because mm-hmm. we have a lot of suggestions that we don't have time to go over on the podcast. Mudrader, this keep your car analog. I totally agree with this drives car drives itself thing. How do these work in the rain? Do you ever check out a backup camera's raining out? You can't see crap. I have no idea. Uh, some systems don't. Well, early I know early radar cruise control did not work in the rain. As soon as you turn the wipers on, it would cancel it because the raindrops would mess up the, mess up the radio the sensor. radar the radar sensor on the front bumper. You know it. That's that's how weather radar works. It yeah, it bounces off rain, right, and it shows up on radar. So it did mess it up. I don't. I assume that it still works the same way, and that if it's really bad in clement weather, like a radar cruise control does not work. I have no idea. It must be. I have. It's been a while since I've driven a car with it in the new system. Uh, I haven't driven. My mom's car has the Subaru Eyesight. I haven't driven that in the rain. I know when you're, it's kind of weird when you're driving it, and you just like. Drift a little bit, it warns you, like, you're going to go out of the lane. And, like, well, I'm sure there's all kinds of yaw control and yaw sensors and angle sensors and all kinds of stuff that's going to come into play. Because if a driverless car drove itself the same way in the drive that it does in the snow, then you'd be in trouble pretty quickly. Yeah. What's going to happen when a driverless car starts to slip on ice? I'm curious to see if anybody has driven, a, like, a Tesla on autopilot in a snowstorm. Right. Well, that's the other thing. It can't work. No, it can't work. It definitely cannot work because it is looking for lines in the road. road. That's yeah. part of the, that's that's part of how those eyesight systems work. So yeah, they don't work in inclement so weather. If you, have a, if you have a strictly, I think driverless car, the way that they're going to get around it snows this, out. Yeah, you stay home. Yeah, but that doesn't exist right now. But I'm I'm, I'm just saying. I think what they're is, working on it though. They're actually talking about rolling out. Um, there's a deal between Chrysler and. Um, Uber, yeah, where they're getting permissions together, and I forget how many cities to put driverless minivans out there for Uber service. Right, but the way I think eventually these are going to work is probably magnets in the road, so that the vehicle knows where it is but that on the road, is and then way off. Yes, yeah, that, and then you have GPS tracking. So that's that how was the way know. Buick did it back in the nineties. Yeah, they had a whole test track set up in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Where they had these driverless Buicks on a magnet setup road, so kind of worked like a slot car, giant slot cars. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so that's how it's gonna work. And yeah, the even in the rain, the backup camera doesn't work in my wife's car. Okay. And then when it's super covered in salt, you can't see anything. Yeah, so. that makes sense. Just blurry. Yep. At that point, it's a lens with stuff on top of it. So that makes exactly. Sense. I think that was the last question on Instagram. That is. Got to go to Facebook. We'll do Facebook. <clears throat> Santiago Daniel Iglesias. He's much easier to say than his Instagram name. Yes, it is. How come you didn't make it to the uh, take the Colt to the Lemons Rally? Seems like it would fit in. I didn't realize it was going on until I saw people posting on Instagram this week. I knew it was going on. I simply don't have the time off from work or money to do it right now. Yeah. That is a, that is a trip that one day we will do. There's some interesting cars. Yeah. And apparently I've already, already followed like a bunch of people I didn't realize were in it until they were doing it. So. Uh, that's what I realized today. I was like, oh, interesting. A lot of people I'm following are having a great day today. And here I am at work scrolling through Instagram. There's a guy with a like a '64 Impala, awesome. That, uh, that's a good one. Um, I saw like a '76 Nova. 
There's a couple people um, in a like a mid '90s Cadillac hearse. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually Steph and um, Steph Schrader and uh, Dusty Ventures. Dusty Ventures, yeah. Stephen Harrell, yeah, yeah. Jalopnik. Uh, so that's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, eventually, uh, we'd love to do a Lemons Rally. We just haven't gotten around to it yet. Yeah, we'll get there. We will. It's all time. It's all money. It's all relevant. Yeah. We need to be doing auto off topic full time so we can do all these fun things. Yeah. Not have to worry about work. James McIntosh. We need to sell like 38 million t-shirts. <laughs> James McIntosh. Uh, I'm going through a week-long electrical diag and repair training course. He is a technician. Uh, a topic I've always hated and been afraid of. Of course, you can't make money as a mechanic without without it, so I'm powering through. Ha-ha. So how do you feel about electrical diag? What tools do you have? Do you like wiring electrical? I like wiring electrical. We just talked about this a little while ago because uh, you wired the rally car the other day. Um, I... Whenever I do do or see training stuff, uh, I get lost. I don't know, like, how many times I've gone over Ohm's Law. It just, I'm like, what? I don't, it's, like, not practical to me. I understand that it exists for a reason. There's a lot of science behind electricity and the way it works and wiring, obviously. But it's not, I've always felt that the Ohm's Law thing is not a practical thing to really teach. I think my dad said he used it, like, wants to figure out a problem Mm -hmm. it's really just using a multimeter to find if a thing has power or not or not yeah and then if it doesn't you trace it back to either there's a break in the power or a break in the ground well i think wiring for you is almost cathartic because you like to lay it out and have it all in front of you and like slowly work your way through it like i don't people listening obviously weren't there when andrew built his gallant but he basically reproduced an entire wiring loom on his own yeah so he had a whole thing laid out in the garage floor on a piece of cardboard and had it all marked out and repinned everything and changed everything and almost built a whole new harness for the car. Yeah, and I just used the basic, just uh, an auto-ranging multimeter mm-hmm. for, I can test continuity, you can test for voltage, you can test for resistance. Mm-hmm. That's really, that's like, start with that. And then you can get to the more advanced stuff, like my dad has a power probe I'll borrow every now and then. Which is kind of cool because you can trigger electrical things with it. Mm-hmm. Without Actually, light. if you watch our friend Jeremy's YouTube video, yeah, it is his uh, YouTube series working on his Le Mans. Yeah, on the first episode, it shows him using the power probe to engage the starter. Yeah, it's pretty cool because you don't have to jump it with a wire. Correct. It's like a fused thing. It's a way less jury rigged way of doing it. Yeah, so that's a pretty cool thing. Um, people don't really use test lights anymore. No, no, you just use a meter. So, um, yeah, I don't really, I'm not really afraid of it. It's just like a thing. You just got to like, I don't know, work at it. Apologize for my sneezes all night. I'm getting over a cold. And the, oh, the other important thing to do is learn how to read wiring diagrams. That's a big thing. Once you understand the wiring diagram and that's the other thing too, if you're going to do electrical work on your vehicle, you're going to have to find the wiring diagrams. It yep. is impossible it's nearly impossible to do wiring work without, without one. wiring diagrams. Yeah. And that's probably the main reason why people get so frustrated with it. Because you're basically guessing. And reading a wiring diagram isn't really rocket science either. It's following lines. Once you figure it out. Once you follow, figure out what the emblems mean. It's like learning how to read a map. Yeah, 100%. So I definitely encourage people to not be afraid of it and to go after it. Next question. This is probably for you, maybe, because I don't know much about these. Gillette Jake, thoughts on Chrysler 2.2 turbos? 
my thoughts shouldn't be taken into consideration on anything because I don't I know of terrible things. I don't know a thing about K cars. Um, two point two turbos are awesome because they're the complete underdog of the automotive world. Okay, they're in K cars. They're mm-hmm. in minivans. They're in terrible, awful, no good, very bad cars. But they can take tons of boost and make tons of power. Yep. And make super sleepers out of terrible, no good, very bad cars. Mm-hmm. I like Chrysler 2.2 cars. Yep. Um, that's all I have to say about that. They're good. I mean, they're, they're terrible, but they're good. All right. So you like them. That's yeah. your thoughts. They're, they're not reliable once they're boosted to within an inch of their life. And they snap axles all the time on the cars that get boosted to within an inch of their life. Yeah. But they're just cool because they shouldn't exist in the form they exist in. And they shouldn't have been put in... Chrysler Town and Countries, and they shouldn't have been put in LeBarons, and they shouldn't have been put in any of these terrible cars, but they were, and they just make these terrible cars that much more interesting, and therefore they're awesome. All right. Fair enough. I like them. Bradley Brownell, the famous auto journalist. Super famous. What is the most... We're not being sarcastic about that either. No, no. He's he's become very famous. Yeah. Published in print. Yeah. His 912 was on the cover of Auto Week. Yes, it was. Uh, what is the most esoteric bit of automotive ephemera that you own? Now, ephemera is something that is not meant to be enjoyed or not meant to be held for a long time. Or collected, it's really. Collected, really, but you have anyway. Um, for me, obviously, it's Mitsubishi stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I have tons and tons and tons of dealer brochures yep. for cars when they were new. Um, that I collected when I was a child of the 80s. That reminds so me, I have an 03 Evo one I have to give you. Excellent. Um, so I have tons of brochures from all cars from the eighties, but I have a rather large collection and a pretty complete collection of Mitsubishi brochures from the first year, 83 up mm-hmm. through like 95. Um, but I'd say one of my favorite things I have was brought back from Japan by a friend for me, um, was bought at the Mitsubishi museum. Yep. It is a spiral-bound notebook from the Mitsubishi Museum that has on the front of the notebook pictures of the fronts of historically significant Mitsubishi cars, and on the back of the notebook pictures of the backs of (laughs) these Mitsubishi cars. Um, And it's not something that's meant to be collected. It's a notebook. You're supposed to write in it. I can't bring myself to write in it. So it's still in its original clear plastic on a shelf with my die-cast Mitsubishis. Cool. That's probably my pretty, pretty much my most esoteric bit of ephemera. Mm-hmm. What do you have, Andrew? I, <clears throat> I'm looking at the Eclipse Gullwing brochure from Japan. Yeah, that's pretty cool, actually. It's really weird because the Eclipse was never built in Japan. Nope. They were only ever built in Illinois. Correct. They were never a, sold in right-hand drive, either. Nope. It's a first-gen that was shipped to Japan and converted to a Gullwing. And sold new. Yeah, because they love Gullwings in Japan, apparently. Um, I'm looking around your basement, excuse me, the Auto Topics studio, Podcast Studios. Yes. And while that is a pretty interesting piece. The DeSoto, uh, the DeSoto service manual. manual sitting right next to it. The service manual. Yeah. Pretty cool. Or the cardboard container of Mobile One Super 10W40, which yeah. is next to that, is something that would not be collected. But now that it's like 40 years old. And never been opened? That no, it's it's been opened. Oh, is it empty? And it's empty. Okay. And I found it it was in the eighty nine Montero when I got it. I don't know why. 
the guy clearly found it and threw it in the truck or something. So he probably found a sealed container of it. And used it. And used that 40-year-old oil in your 20-year-old truck. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. But no, you've this, and I can't think of all of my stuff that I have because I have, I've been a car person my entire life. You know, I grew up as a car person. I grew up with my dad as a car person. And I just have so much stuff. So much stuff, like everywhere. I, I don't even know what to, to do with it half the time. But I can't bring myself to get rid of it because I guess I'm a hoarder of weird automotive stuff. Like you have a, I'm looking at an, an air freshener that's in a plastic package propped up like it's on display. Uh, yeah, I you know? should really use it. Yeah. But, cause I'll just, <laughs> but I already have a cool air freshener in the in the glot, so. Right. So it's just such, it's just. As as an automotive enthusiast, you just you get hooked into this collecting all stuff related to automotive enthusiasts. Yeah, I really like service manuals. So if I find really weird service manuals, yeah, you have a stack of really weird service manuals up there. Like you've never owned a Datsun or a Nissan, but I see the Datsun two hundred SX six ten seven ten eight ten. Where are you going to find that information? Manual. You're not going to find it on the internet. I guarantee it. I guarantee you would actually it's super hard somewhere. But regardless, it's it's just cool to collect this stuff and. I, I can't explain it. You don't have a reason for it. I don't have a reason for it. I just like having well, it. Well, no, I like it. That's Some reason. people see garbage. We see cool automotive stuff. All right. Next question. John Rimmer. Uh, this is a pretty long question. Uh, do our best to answer it. Since you guys have experience at Mitsubishi Dealer Parts Counter, as far as you guys know, the are the Carmen Vortex MAF sensors in Mitsubishi, uh, Mitsubishi known to be troublesome? I've seen several Gen 3 Montero threads this past year discussing idle issues that people assume to be the MAFs, uh, volume airflow sensors per F, uh, factory service manual, and have wondered if this was true of any other Mitsu models that use the same sensor on the G75 engine, Glides, Eclipses, Endeavors. The idle issue is usually described as low idle, stalling while stopped, car and drive goes away in neutral, Sorry, this is overly specific. But the forms have not been very conclusive. Typically, people throwing parts at the issue with no clear results. I will leave this note to you because I'm unfamiliar with that issue. have not. It might be because these vehicles are aging. Yeah. This was not a common problem when I was there. No, I worked, I, I haven't worked at a Mitsu dealer since 2006, 2007. So, and I was from 07 to 13. So... We hadn't seen it at the time. Um, it, it was It's fairly common in the earlier cars that the idle air control valves go bad. Yep, and the even earlier cars had a weird um, ISC that would go bad. That could be reset. I mean, I know procedure. The, our, the Mirage we had had a bad idle air control valve. Yep, so a hunt. We'd go, huh, huh, and huh. to replace it, it was on that car. The only one available was OEM. It was $400. Super stupid money. Even with the, my parts discount, I was like, nope. So it just drove it as is, and it would work fine 90% of the time. And sometimes it would just hunt. Yep. Occasionally it would stall. Yep. Um, so I would think that it's more towards that, that that is typically a Mitsubishi fail area is a idle air control more than since, a mass airflow meter. Since yeah. day one yeah. of Mitsubishi fuel injection. Mass airflow meters don't typically fail. I would think it would leave you with check engine lights and stuff, too. So could be dirty, too, maybe. Yeah. I mean, there are. Uh, the newest Gen 3 is now 12 years old. Mm-hmm. 
So it could need just cleaning. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to know more if there's any check engine lights or anything. So yeah, we don't. Sorry, I don't have a good answer for that. But unfortunately, neither of us have worked in the dealership for quite a few years now. Yeah. But the, I would start with those other things. I can tell you what we replace all the time, and that wasn't one of them. <laughs> no. Uh, Lower control arms, Monteros. Yes. Yeah. Second, shorter question. Do you guys have any plans to attend the Smoky Mountain Overland Rally again this year with your Monteros? So we didn't actually attend it. Uh, Eric Carajalas, who was a guest, attended it. Yep, as well as a bunch of other Mitsubishi yes. went with him. Um, uh, he says he's planning to attend and would love to meet a few more Montero guys. I know that I think Eric is planning on going again, yep. as well as a bunch of others are planning on going I'm again. I'm sure people, John, if you're a member of the Montero USA Owners Facebook group, uh, I believe it's Mitsubishi Montero Owners USA Facebook yes. group. Uh, I'm sure people will post up and talk about that. There's also, if you're in the New England area, yep. there's the Northeast Mitsubishi, Mitsubishi 4x4. Yep. So <clears throat> definitely join those groups on Facebook, and you'll be well aware who's, who's going. going yeah. um, Unfortunately, we probably will not be going this year, but there's too many other planned events this yep. year. And then the Smoky Mountain... Montero Rally just answered, which was pretty cool. So, mm-hmm. all right. Jeremy Nutt, former guest. Also the man we talked about using his power probe earlier. Yes. If you could start over as a 14-year-old gearhead, knowing what you know now, what type of car type would you get into? Japanese muscle cars, hot rods, etc. I feel like we answered a similar question before. I feel like we're into all of those cars anyway, so it's kind of hard to pick. But um, it's sort of like... There was a path you could choose back then. Mm-hmm. We went Japanese. We we're definitely we went are, Japanese. We are pre-Fast and the Furious. We were definitely brought up muscle cars. 100%. But with a twist because, like, your father had a Spitfire and my father had this, that TR6s was, and Spitfires and TR3s. My dad didn't have a Spitfire until I was in my 20s, so. Oh, okay. I forget, yeah, I forget that. Though. Yeah. But nonetheless, we... You were influenced a lot by the garage across the street, which always had other cars in it, too, other than muscle cars. I think the, it's, for me, it was a function of where we live as to what cars I got into. Mm-hmm. Because what was cheap when I was able to drive and was quick was Japanese cars. Mm-hmm. Because they also didn't rot away as quickly as American, as American cars. cars did yep. at the time that were yep. made in the same time. So that's why I ended up where I ended up so with Japanese here's, cars. So here's where my path faltered or changed. Yeah. So... I'm sure you remember, and long-time listeners will hear, have heard me talk about it. My first car was an 85 Cutlass. Yeah. Um, Supreme, rear-wheel drive, typical American muscle car style, you know, standard solid rear axle, front-engine rear-wheel drive. I also had my Camaro at the same time. When it came time to replace my Cutlass, I was car shopping. Mm-hmm. And there were three cars I looked at in one weekend. And this defined who I became as a car person right then and there. I looked at an 83 GTI, a 65 um, Pontiac Tempest, and a 1990 Eagle Talon. Yep. Um, the GTI was fully restored. Well, we know where this ended up. The GTI was fully restored at 350,000 miles in the chassis, and my father said, no way in hell am I allowing you to buy that car, because I was a teenager, and he could, still could say that. The Tempest was nice, and I almost bought it. The Talon was queer and handled better, and I became addicted at the first turn, and I bought a Talon. And next thing you know, I have the path I've chosen. Mm-hmm. So 14-year-old me was still cool with whatever. 
I still have drawings 14-year-old me made of SN95 Mustangs. I'll tell you. Mini Coopers at the same time. When I was 14 in high school, I really wanted a fourth-gen Camaro. That's fine. Like, in the worst way. Yeah, and you still would. you take one today. Oh, yeah. But the problem was, the other thing, too, if I, I can only afford one car when I'm that age, I want a car, and I couldn't afford winter tires. And we couldn't afford one, sure, a Camaro at that time Exactly. <laughs> so the only thing I could buy was an all-wheel drive Japanese car. It was also convenient because I already owned it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it worked out. It, it did work out. So, yes, our tastes, we, we've, we've, we have formed each other's tastes over the years uh, just by growing up together. So. But the question was if you could start over. Um, I wouldn't change a thing. I would still be into the variety of cars. I have a, I have an old bustle car. I, have I would have cars. bought um, an older Porsche much earlier. I don't think he's saying if he can go back like a time machine. I think he's just saying, like, because, yeah, there's a lot of cars I would have bought back then. Yeah. I would have bought an M3, and I would have bought a Porsche, and I would have bought a Grand National, and I would have bought all kinds of stuff. I probably would have got into cars that appreciate Possibly, yes. But again, I don't think he's saying knowing what you know now as far as value goes. Instead, I, I got into cars that I appreciate. Yes. Which is more fun in the end. Yeah. Because nobody can say they were doing it for the money. We're doing it for the car. All right. Final question, because we're getting a little long here. So this is Also because it's the final question. Yeah. Liz Mohan. So this is the woman who owns the GTI rally Spaghetti. car. Spaghetti. Her question, I'm not sure why she's asking this. How much do you think I could get if I sold a 1992 VW Golf? <laughs> uh, well, Liz, listen, when it's done, it's a pain in the ass right now. It's Project Car Hell. When you race it in anger. I see what you did there. When you turn in the wheel in anger. When you aiming for the roses. Yeah. Once you get it on the rallycross course, it will be worth it. 100%. 100%. When we were slugging through Jordan's STI, it was being super annoying with all the intake stuff and the turbo and the power steering lines leaking. Uh, when we finally went to, when I finally got to drive it at the rallycross course last April, I was like, oh, yeah. Yep. This is why. It. Yeah. So it was super fun. Uh, 100%. Now, um, as a serious note, if you really were wanting to sell your car, I don't know what you could sell it for, but I know what you're into it for and you'd probably be okay. Oh, you'd be fine. Yep. So, uh, that's it for Facebook questions. It is. And Instagram questions have already been answered. Yep. And we don't have a Twitter, so there's no questions there. Thank you for chiming in and asking us questions. Yeah, thanks for saving the episode, guys. We Yep. It was a listener team effort. We're supported by you yes. in all facets. Um, and the original plan of our guest will go off next week. He's yep. super bummed he can't make it. He says he's more bummed that his truck is broken, that he couldn't make it, than his truck is broken. Cool. In fact, he tried to come, he tried to like schedule to come a little later, but it just wasn't going to work out. So yeah, it's fine. So that that was pretty awesome. So we made it work. We did. Cool. Um, and when Jim listens to this tomorrow, if you need help with your truck, let us know. Yeah. I'll be by. You don't live too far from me. All right. So please subscribe to the podcast on uh, Apple. I think it's the podcast or iTunes. I don't know. They're changing the name again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're on Google Music. I don't know why the other one lagged last week, but eventually it eventually made it. Eventually it showed up. Um, we're also on Stitcher. And, uh, of course, you can listen to us right on Shout Engine, the website, if you want. Um, I do have another question. What's that? It's on my page. Oh. It's, it's also in? from Jeremy Nutt, though. So Okay. 
Hopefully I'm not too late, he says. Okay. Question number one for listeners. Should you reuse a 300-mile timing belt or not? <laughs> All right. <laughs> and question number two, what's cooler, an antique engine with fuel injection added to it or a new engine converted to run off a carburetor? <laughs> so both these questions are specifically aimed at me because we made the video. I'm sure some of you have seen it, some of you have not. If you haven't seen it, we did the first installment of the Auto Off Topic video series. Yes. The Galant Repair, which will be one series. And there'll be other series as we go along, I'm sure. Yes. And there was a 300-mile timing belt on the motor that let go. And in order to pull the cylinder head off, I cut the timing belt. Yeah. And Jeremy was upset that we cut the timing belt. Yeah. But. I think we should glue it back together and give in, it to him. Yeah, we should, actually. We should actually put a master link in it and give it back to him. Um, in my experience of building things and working on things, if you have a timing belt off... I don't care how old it is. You should just replace it because it's off. And you might as well start fresh again. Yeah. It's a lot and of work sure to get to at it. At 300 miles, it is it is what it is. But it's just peace of mind. There's no more to it than that. That's all. And um, new engine converted to run off a carburetor. We'll see what happens with the 4G63 when I put it in the Colt. Yeah. Do a turbo with a blow-through carb. No. It's fine. Not going to do that. Got to run actually aspirated. But there's a company that makes an intake manifold. That's designed to fit Weber carbs or ITBs. Okay. So I could go either way with that. All right. I think Andrew would kill me and wouldn't help me work on the car if I went to Weber carbs instead of ITBs. But they are cheaper, so we'll see what happens. All right. Sure. So, Jeremy, great joke questions, but I may have to do it. And on that note, you can follow the podcast, (laughs) Auto Off Topic Podcast, on Facebook, Auto Off Topic on Instagram, you can also, we are Auto Off Topic on YouTube if you want to watch that video. Yep. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram. Yes, and I New England ways working on cars in the yep. snow. You can follow me on Instagram, Race Than Anger. Brad, where they can find you? Uh, TSISS350 is my Instagram name. Yes. And they can find me also posting things on our Instagram account. We appreciate all the reviews on iTunes. Keep them coming. Uh, if you want some stickers, let us know. I'll send them out. Keep your cars analog. Aim for the roses.